I'm Caddy Diop. I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. like to take this uh, time to acknowledge that the studio where we record and uh, the home where I record from uh, are situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the, co- the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the Indigenous communities of the area. So this week we're continuing the sort of loose-ish mini-series we're doing about um, teens connecting with religion and spirituality. This, uh, we're also following up, this is the sequel to Born Confused, which we reviewed, I guess, a couple years ago now by Tanuja desai Hidye, And so this is Bombay Blues, which is the book that I mistakenly said did not exist uh, in that review, but which very much exists and uh, which I've had on my shelf for a couple of years waiting to read. So um, we read this. It is a a, a long book. It is, I'm trying to think like exactly how to put this, but it is sort of a meditation on connecting with one's roots. And I think mm-hmm. we talked about this in the um, review of Born Confused, but Desai Hudye, who is a musician, has a very sort of lyrical, poetic style of writing. There's a lot of that. And it is about Dimple Lala, who we met at 17 in Born Confused, at 19, returning with her boyfriend Karsh to Bombay and visiting family there, seeing her cousins and uh, sort of figuring out what her connection is to India and what her connection is to Bombay. Very fittingly titled Bombay Blues. This was a fun read. It was an interesting read. Um, I think we should we should also off the top very clearly state this 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 is a, a, a YA novel that can kind of skirt the line of being for emerging adults. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, this is a very mature story. This isn't a story intended, I think, for, 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 for readers who might not yet have that maturity to handle certain subtleties. Um, and I think that that's okay, because there are definitely some readers who can jump in and uh, get into this. Um, I think just so Born Confused was very much a YA novel and it remains one of my favorite YA novels. I think it's just such an excellent book. And um, I do think that this book really fittingly for a book about a 19 year old. Yeah, like you said, it bridges that gap between YA and and, uh, adult lit. And I think in that vein is a very good book for maybe teens who are kind of looking for more sophisticated writing styles books that are a little bit more about the writing uh this is something we've talked about a lot i know but like writing and story and where the balance is between writing as a pretty exploratory expressive thing and story as in communicating the plot because it's not very plot driven especially in the middle yeah and one thing that i find very fun and like something that helps me understand the book is that there's also an album um that she wrote around the same time that goes with it which she very kindly sent us copies of actually so i feel like the fact i feel like this book is written very much like an album it's very atmospheric there are things you pick up by intuition there are sort of dream sequences that you you just get immersed in and you have to sort of figure out where you are and in all of that, it is a book about figuring out what home means. And I do think in that respect, the poetic, introspective, stream of consciousness writing style serves that. But I would not necessarily expect, say, a 14-year-old <laughs> to be able <laughs> to get through this. No, I think a young reader would have a hard time understanding this stream of consciousness. This Okay, so this book, I love speaking in... like. <laughs> 
pop culture metaphors. Um, this book made me think of certain things. Uh, my so-called life being at the top of that list. Um, as a good uh, person who straddles the line between millennials and Gen X, um, you know, that kind of angst, you know, like very West Coast, very grunge, very flannel, all of that, like I felt that in this book and it was, there was just so much feeling. Dimple has a lot of emotions and feels them and i think my like slightly dissociative self struggles with that a bit at times but it was nice because it also gave me a chance to be 19 again and to to navel gaze and to really place myself at the center of of my own universe and oof, yeah a lot a lot is happening there for for this character mm -hmm. she's she's wrestling between her wants and her needs and her ideal self versus her actual self um and i also think that you know she's she's so mature in her immaturity you know like she has very you see the childlike wonder that she still has in looking at the world and in discovering home and all that but but she also has this like she has this childishness that that's yeah yes so you read this as a standalone novel i did and i read it as the second in a uh, in a duality of books a sequel a sequel there's a word for that why did i make up a phrase for that the second in a duality of books um i'm revisiting my 19 year old <laughs> academic self um <laughs> Uh, and I find it really fun because I know this character so well, at least at 17, because I've read Born Confused like at least a dozen times. I know it inside and out. So it's fun to hear you meet this character who I know really well, because it's true. That's like her whole thing. And that comes up in Born Confused, too, that Dimple has both a real maturity and that she's very comfortable around adults. She's very intelligent. Uh, but she also has a real immaturity that comes out in that sort of in a, in a social and relationship kind of way. And the other aspect that I guess you don't know, having not read Born Confused, is that Kirsch was her first boyfriend, kind of. Like, she had one very brief boyfriend before him. But yeah. he is sort of her first adult relationship from 17 to 19. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because... I did, I did do my homework. I, uh, you know, I listened to the previous episode, which is actually the episode right before I made my debut as Yay! a co-host. Pew, pew. Um, but um, I found that interesting because I was... <laughs> uh, how do I put this kindly? Um, I felt bad for straight people. Because mm -hmm. um, I was like, this is not ideal. Like, no thank you. Who? Like, it felt like she, like Dimple was dating, like, an Indian version of, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Mike the Situation from, from Jersey Shore. <laughs> you know, like, just, like, total, like, GTL kind of, like, gotta make sure that, like, everything is good and, like, I gotta, like, pop my collar and this and that. And I was like, this young, wispy artist type? Like, really? Captain Introspection? You're going to jump on the guy who would probably rather be, like, on a ski-doo in Goa? Not a ski-doo, a sea-doo. Sorry, Canadian problem. You know, like, in Goa and, like, I don't know. It just, he seems like such a cheesy, unappealing character. And I know he has trauma. I get it. I'm sensitive to it. But... His coping mechanisms are not for me. I'm laughing so hard because I got so defensive there. I just like, my whole teenage self was just like, how dare you? 
<laughs> because he's really built up in Born Confused. And he is, you know, he's a nice Indian boy. Like, he's very, like, he, he is very attentive to Dimple's needs and her emotions and stuff in the first book. But you're right. He just kind of goes off the fuckboy deep end for, like, a good portion of this book. But one of the things that I really liked about this book, so I like that it it works as a standalone book. Because I think it very, I think it really does. Like I think you can come into this book, having not read Born Confused. Uh, for example, if you're somebody who does not read YA, I think you could still get into this and not need the context and enjoy it. Um, because it's not, as we mentioned before, really a YA style uh, book. It's more of an artsy introspection travel book. I would read this on a plane and cry. This would be a great book to take on a like transatlantic flight oh my gosh yeah the to take the train backpacking through europe or anywhere yeah totally that book yep (laughs) um but i really love it as a breakup book like i mean that's not a huge spoiler they break up pretty early on in the book and then they kind of untangle the rest of the breakup um through encounters throughout the rest of the story and uh I really loved reading the breakup book of a couple whose like getting together story is so close to my heart because I feel like we don't often read certainly not in YA I'm sure this comes up in adult fic but like honestly it's been such a long time since I read a book that was not marketed to 12 to 18 year olds but it was really nice to read a book that put this much care into telling the story of the relationship's breakup and really going into kind of all of the steps of a breakup so you have the first kind of something's off and there's some alienation and we're trying to reconnect but we're really missing each other and then you have the like no we're together this is good and then you have the no actually we really need to separate we need some time and then finally the like reconnecting and like affirming yes this is the right step for us we need to separate and move on and um one of the things i really really liked is that she talks about her feelings for him having just transformed into feelings like you know he she says he's he's like my brother like somebody who i've been through a lot with who i know really really well who i love very dearly but who i really just have no spark for anymore and I really appreciated that it it felt like giving them it felt like giving this story that I loved it's kind of due because you know when you see a couple get together at 17 they're not gonna stay together forever so it was kind of nice to like see that window into two years later we're not in high school anymore we're finding our adult selves and we don't work Exactly. It's that transition period. And I think that we spend so much energy focusing on the first transition into adolescence, but the second transition of adolescence out of it is a pretty freaking rocky ro- rocky one, or anyways, I know it was for me. And that landing, if it's not smooth enough, can like throw you off and it can just throw you off, period. But I think it was it was very um, it was a very good choice also to show us the breakup through the eyes of such an introspective character because because people who overanalyze things I don't think you can relate to this at all Teffer <laughs> I certainly can't um, you know we ruminate and you know the writing is 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 particularly beautiful I have to say like. It's it's it feels very poetic. You can almost hear this sing song, um, but that's why I think it would make a beautiful travel book mm-hmm. for a young um, a young adult embarking <laughs> when the world reopens, embarking on a first journey or something of the sort. That wispiness and that that introspection around the breakup and the the ruminating and the feeling things and the coming back on the thing as well, like not just moving forward and and barreling through breakups the way I find a lot of novels tend Mm -hmm. to tend to do. Like, it's nice to have a character who's able to come back to the same thought a couple of times and then break it down even more and break it down even more. It, it felt very familiar. I think I felt like I knew Dimple um, because, I mean, Dimple is basically my circle of friends and myself, 
you know, it's someone who's who's overly self-involved and who feels big things and doesn't like it's like a, a very powerful storm, but very well contained under the surface of the skin. So I love that about her. I love that about that character and about that that ability to handle the breakup. Très bien. Good. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing her both feel a lot of pain about the breakup, which seemed to kind of come out of nowhere for her at the beginning, um, but also acknowledge it as a good thing. And the other thing I really appreciated was this wasn't a breakup and then meet somebody new book, which it seemed like it was going to be for a little bit. It it was a just a breakup. It was a breakup and all the things that come with that, including sometimes meeting somebody through whose eyes you can see yourself in a different light for a little while, but who is not necessarily a, a person you're going to spend a lot of time with. The breakup was as positive and as self-revealing for Dimple as in the first book, the start of the relationship was. And that is such a lovely thing to see. I also know, I mean, I couldn't stop thinking about this, but Born Confused was written, was published in 2002 and Bombay Blues was published in 2014. And I really enjoy that there are 12 years between these books. Bears between the stories, which is interesting. I wonder about the the writing style um, and the evolution. How did you feel about it? About the evolution of the writing style between yes. the two books? Yes. It's I mean, it's certainly different. Uh, it's it's as we've said before, this one, there are definitely passages of the sort of lush, poetic introverted um, writing and born confused uh, most particularly when she writes about clubbing and about music and one of the things I really really appreciate is that there is a club scene at the towards the end of Bombay Blues which mirrors in so many ways a club scene at the end of Born Confused and um, I mean it's like clearly a deliberate parallel uh, uh, and a way to kind of catalog the things she's learned and the ways she's changed. I also noticed in Born Confused, um, Dimple's very focused on her appearance. And we get a lot of information about what she's wearing, how she chooses her wardrobe, how she feels about her body, how her best friend makes her feel about her body, uh, which I think is one of the reasons I love the book so much, is that I think it's one of the most compassionate young adult books about a teen and a larger body that I read, uh, certainly published in 2002. In this one, we almost never see Dimple, really. She is busy looking at other things. Um, and that's a fun development. That that oh. I noticed. That's a very fun development. She matured. Mm -hmm. She matured and then she goes on and then she takes you on like a rickshaw ride. And like, I, th I think that's what I really love. And that's something that I hadn't necessarily thought about until just this second is how much I love people in transport. Mm -hmm. And there's something very interesting about what happens to a character in the in-between. And I like that here. Like there's, it was very easy for me to picture you know, like while it's a little bit unrealistic to imagine uh, this young, <laughs> to imagine this young woman having no issues at all circulating through, you know, uh, through Bombay just being like, you know, willy nilly, no stress, no, nobody's bugging you to buy a mango or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's a little bit unrealistic, but I think that it's okay to have romance and, and, and have a romantic view of such a bustling city, I guess. But the moments when she's in transit, it's it's just so interesting. It brings me back to like, you know, to my first times traveling, that moment of feeling a little bit limitless and, and like you have all the freedom in the world when you actually don't, but it doesn't matter because in that one specific second, everything can happen you know and and it endears me it really that kind of space 
that's young and idealistic it just it warms my heart so much it definitely lit up some like very personal memories for me because actually when I was 18 I spent time in Nepal uh in Kathmandu which is not Bombay but is you know the same like general area of the world and um there were just a number of parts of the travel that brought me back to that feeling of being a teenager and kind of you know I was traveling with a group I wasn't traveling alone or with family but um just being transported to a completely different space unfamiliar space and and figuring out how to navigate in somewhere that's much like louder and more crowded and hotter and has a lot more like smells and sounds and sights and <laughs> uh, or it concepts just, of proximity yeah I mean or it just feels that way because it's not where I'm used to moving around um and Ooh. I also really appreciated her meditations that come in especially towards the ends of the book uh, end of the book about what home is because again personally I've moved a number of times I lived 10 years in small town Sticks, Ontario and 10 years in Cambridge Massachusetts and now I've been in Montreal for a very long time Jesus I think like 11 years this year um, maybe it's 12 years we're lucky year. to have you I think it's 12 years this year. I never thought I would stay this long um, but she says at some point when I'm here I feel like home is New York and when I'm in New York, I feel like home is Jersey. And when I was in Jersey, I felt like home was India. And like, I, I don't know <laughs> where home is. Um, and I really feel that. I really felt that. Like this this feeling of having a number of places that are home. And kind of her her conclusion is home is not a place, which of course makes my little queer heart happy. And speaking of my little queer heart, oh, I yeah. do want to talk about the other characters in this <laughs> book. So I could absolutely pull a dimple lala and just introspect deeply into the experience of feelings um, for 500 pages. But I do want to talk about Dimple's, uh, the people she's around, especially her sister cousins. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I loved Dimple connecting with her cousins especially. And of course, I love Kavita mm-hmm. from Born Confused. She is a delight. And getting to know Sangeeta was really fun. And getting to know her her um, aunt and uncle was really fun. I loved... Oh, now I can't remember the name of the little one who was there with the birds. Um, Akasha. Akasha, yes. And I loved seeing Dimple transition from being all excited about being in Bombay because she got to be in a fancy hotel room with her boyfriend the whole time to really enjoying spending time in her aunt and uncle's home with her cousins and I also want to say that the most like unexpected delightful thing for me I mean apart from Sangeeta's whole arc which is incredible which we can get into but was Kavita and Sab's reuniting because they break up Mm -hmm. at the end of Born Confused and it's like devastating Kavita is like I don't know if I will ever love again and she's she's just like it really felt like a total breakup and to have Sabina come back and be like Mm -hmm. I super duper duper messed up (laughs) and I really wish I had not messed up and I really want to try again and do better was so lovely and I didn't expect it at all and the scene I'm gonna tear up again that made me just I mean I cried I sobbed I wasn't expecting this Mm -hmm. and I full on sobbed is at the top when they finally climb the hill the family all together and um, Sabs and Kavita slip off and we see them doing their version of the Saptapadi which is the seven steps of the Hindu marriage ceremony and they're putting their own spin on it and they just went off by themselves to do it And she also says in her author's note that she wrote this shortly after um, gay marriage was made legal in India, and she really wanted to include that, even though, unfortunately, that was repealed shortly after. She just wanted to include that Mm -hmm. moment. Um, I I mean, I was ugly crying. I full-on, I sobbed. I had tears running down my face. Like, that scene was so beautiful, and it was such a little treasure. 
in the book. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. And that's amazing because when you're, there's something very particular when your roots, you know, when your culture doesn't appreciate you for who you are, right? And you're made to feel less than. And I think that, you know, speaking about spirituality and speaking about identity and things like that, it is important. Um, you know, that was a very intentional thing that was done in this book. And it's, I don't know if it was met with resistance elsewhere, but I know that it was met with a lot of love here. Mm-hmm. And this love from the family as well, this, this, I'm guessing the coming out story was, was much more of a thing in, uh, in the first story. But yeah, I think it, there's something really beautiful there. I think that must have, Anyways, it, my it, my little black heart totally melted. It's, totally. Yeah. That like some someone has gained a bunch of hope in reading that and someone's going to be a great person to receive a coming out to because of this story as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. I think that's really really important. Kavita is great and I love her and it was very very nice to see her get her happy ending and um, fun to have a wedding you know and then there's Sangeeta who did not have a wedding but yes oh my god what a storyline there what a story arc for her just finding her way to embrace herself and embrace her art and I I loved the reveal that through the entire narrative, she and her highly supportive fiance have mm-hmm. been unweaving their wedding. This is a huge spoiler, but you know, the book's been out since 2014, so read it. Mm-hmm. Um, have been just carefully, stealthily unweaving their wedding to make canceling it as painless as possible. And I, I really, really enjoyed this sort of flip. Like, I think we always have this idea of, like, if you're going to cancel a wedding, cancel it as far out as possible. But mm-hmm. they understood that Sangeeta really needed this narrative to let her do what she had to do. So that they just secretly undid the wedding. And it's brilliant. And, uh, and so romantic yeah. when you think about it, right? Like... Isn't that romantic that, like, I love you so much that I will help you sabotage this celebration of our love? It's so lovely. It's so lovely. It's so lovely. And it was um, seeing sort of the process. So this was established more even and more confused when Sangeeta first started seeing Deepak. I think, or when her parents started looking for a husband for her. I can't remember if he was specifically in the picture, but I think so. And um, it was very much framed as, you know, well, she is skinny and dark and plain and has glasses and we should just be happy that this family is willing to have her marry at all. Um, And then you have Deepak paying for her LASIK surgery and Kavita being like, oh, yeah, he doesn't like glasses. And just to see how all of these things were gestures of love from him for her, it was so lovely it was Mm -hmm. such a nice take on the like arranged marriage not working out for somebody story (laughs) oh yeah yes super super lovely and and i have to say like sangeeta's a really nice voice of reason in this story right and and she's the unexpected voice of reason and I love that little cultural clusterfuck as well of being, you know, of wondering and going, well, the person who holds the most traditional values is actually your anchor in this situation. And that is not something that I would be comfortable agreeing with in my day to day life necessarily. But here it was it was woven in very beautifully. And and I love the steadiness of Sangeeta. Yeah. You know, she's a steady character. She's like a she's like a tree. Um, she's very lovely. But like a tree, it's pretty hard to move her once she's put down her roots. 
I liked her a lot. She reminded me in some ways of my immediately older sister, Rachel, in ways that I appreciated. We have not, I'm realizing, in our loosely defined miniseries about faith and religion, touched on faith and religion very much. And uh, it's kind of hard to in this book because it's not really Dimple's journey. It's more Karsha's journey. But I did want to say briefly that I really appreciated how a period of devoutness for Karsh helped him figure some things out about himself. And it was not established as kind of an either or choice or like a now you have to commit yourself to this life eternally. It was I dabbled briefly in a more extreme form of religious devotion and it gave me some knowledge about myself and I'm keeping some parts of it but I'm not you know living on the on the um, ashram now yeah I think that that's nice it's um it's a very how do I say this without being offensive I don't I I really don't want to sound offensive but it's a it's a very good moderate book in the sense that it walks that line very comfortably between religion as an aspect of culture um you know personal development but oh like brown kids india not just being brown you know being more than just like delving into their sense of identity you know and i think that that that's an interesting part as well and I may have gone into this book with uh, some I did listen to the podcast uh, beforehand I listened to it afterwards about uh, the the about uh, the first story and it was it was interesting because I was like the cover was very you know telling and I was like okay this is this is gonna get like spiritual and I may be confronted to things um, that that challenged me and I was like oh no um th- I know this character I understand this living between two cultures situation I get that I feel very comfortable with this and I was like this is I could let my mom read it and my aunts and my aunties and uncles like they would be totally comfortable letting their teenagers read this even if they were more conservative because there is still this aspect of you know it's part of who you are it's woven into the fabric of your being so just let it be and trust in it and, and, and surrender to it if you feel that you need it, uh, because that is something that is feasible, mm-hmm. you know, and when your only lens is like a North American society, yeah, surrendering to a moment of devoutness is something that everyone would like raise a bunch of red flags about in this story. It's perfectly okay to say like, hey, I need a minute, right? I wish I could do that here, actually, instead of having a burn out last year I could have had like a mild religious crisis of faith or something I'm gonna rebrand it rebranding burnout as crisis of faith <laughs> you know Caddy, I know a number of local cults I could connect you with if you're looking for that experience <laughs> no thank you um, the other thing I really appreciated about uh, um, Karsha's flirting with Hare Krishna's is um, that the person trying the hardest to get him was a white girl with white girl dreads appreciated that so much yes thank you it's important for us to see that because it is part of i can only imagine what it must be like for someone who is of indian descent to be confronted to this whitewashing of their culture and this like namaste kind of (laughs) appropriation type of like certain elements of your cultures but not all elements of your culture and then oh man it's got to be challenging I it makes me uncomfortable and I'm not Indian I mean again that's that's cultural appropriation was like a huge theme in Born Confused and that was like a little callback and it was kind of like she calls I go well, I mean, I can't remember. I need to start writing down names before we record. Anyway, when she first sees her, she calls her Gwen, which is her her childhood best friend who uh, <laughs> tried to just entirely appropriate her culture and some other cultures along the way. So that was that was a fun callback as well as a good moment. I want to return to something I said earlier because I regret something I said earlier because I said that the journey of faith is not so much dimples as it is Karsh's. And I want to take that back. 
because I do think Dimple absolutely has an exploration of her own connection especially to deities there are a lot of gods and goddesses in the book there are a lot of temples in the book she's you know connecting to her dadaji who died uh before she got back to see him and who the last time she was in india was sort of the center of her visit i feel like i said that because there's not a like spiritual there's not like a spirituality religion arc in a way that i necessarily recognize from my own path but she is absolutely connecting, you know. I don't have the experience of being connected to a religion that is also deeply rooted in a place because my people are colonizers and we don't have that. It is really beautiful to see that, that like religion and place, culture and faith connection be so important in, in all of the choices she makes. They're yeah. not even choices, I just like- in her experience. It's just part of her experience. It's part of her deep dive into her feelings, and it's very lovely. <laughs> I like what you said there, because I think that is important. It's, it isn't the same way that we experience, you know, religious practices. And it's, but I also like that it, there's also this, like, by and for aspect to this book, like, in the sense that, like, there's not as many explanatory commas as there should be you know where there's like a very clear explanation for the non-indian reader to hold on like i thought that was pretty neat and it forces you to go and you know do a google and get your head on straight and learn some things and not get everything spoon fed to you but i like the fact that I like what you were saying about uh, about just her not having the same type of religious experience. And I think that it's true. Like when you live in an area that is primarily one thing and that one thing is, let's be honest, relatively boring. You know, there's a lot of sit, stand, sit, stand. There's not a lot of like anything. It's very passive. Whereas, you know, she's involved in something that's a bit more active. And, and I know that for me, that was also quite different, quite different and exciting. But then after that, I, I fall into weird patterns of like embarrassment and being like, oh, no, am I like turning into the am I going to go to an ashram and be like, I'm totally doing yoga for six months. Like, you know, that that fear is always present. But but it was interesting to see that that way. I'm, I'm going to keep thinking on that, Tepper. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you want a Christian experience that has, you know, dancing and smells and yelling, you just got to go to a Pentecostal service and just not tell anybody you're gay. So maybe don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I also actually, because I said my people are colonizers, but but there is one quarter of my heritage that are not, were, you know, genocide survivors. And... Um, my brother got to go back to the site of the village that my family is from, which no longer exists and is now within the border of Turkey. Um, <laughs> but Armenia is was actually the first officially Christian country. It was the first country way, 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 way back to say this is our national religion now. Oh, wow. And so whenever we have these conversations about like faith and heritage and... We talk a lot about the colonizing power of Christianity because that is really the overwhelming uh, way that Christianity exists in the world. But I'm always very curious. Like, I, I really wonder. I've never been to an Armenian church. Like, they exist. We have them in Montreal, but I've never been to one. And I, I do always really wonder, like, is are there places where it is the, like, culturally tied religion and what would it be like to go there and how is that Mm. different and so you know maybe one day I'll do my own pilgrimage and figure that shit out that's interesting I think that um coming from a, a how should I say I'm like a scrambled eggs situation of 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 religion in the sense that I was baptized by a rabbi in a Muslim family so religion is hard because 
Because <laughs> basically what I like is ritual and what I don't like is rules. So ooh, everything becomes a little uh, higgledy-piggledy, let's put uh, it that way. And my mother always tells me not to go to her village in Africa because she says that a curse will definitely be put on me. There is something really beautiful about the sharing of rituals. And I think that the this the centralness of family and the importance of of really partaking, you know, and 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 having a certain sense of trust, but it's not in a like, dear Jesus, please answer my prayer kind of situation. It's much more this like mm, looking for a bit of, you know, just just point me in a direction that makes a bit better sense than cowboy. You know, so so that's that that's really interesting, and I like that aspect of of the religion. Whew, that was a lot of pussyfooting around the fact that religion makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I think there's a discomfort with religion that comes from like like when I see friends who have been raised in like a faith environment that goes. I don't mean like a couple generations back, but like many generations back. Like when I talk with my Indian friends whose families are like Hindu or Muslim and it's just been part of their family for centuries, millennia. Or like also like I get this with my dad's side of the family who are Catholic because they're culturally Catholic because they're Italian or like I actually don't know what background my uncle is but like new york white catholic Um, (laughs) one of the whites yeah i think english i think it's like british isles somehow um it's a very different experience from having kind of a like mishmash or parents who feel a little uncomfortable like i think for me it was really my parents felt uncomfortable with their families cultures or religions to differing degrees and found like a different religion to just super commit to and I think that the sense of continuity probably gives you something that helps Mm -hmm. you not be wildly uncomfortable about religion Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have that continuity I hope that one day I'll be able to access it I don't know who knows you may there is time for you still I am but a youth but a chick. But a chick. Okay, <laughs> um, I want to read you the. I wrote a sentence in um, re- while reading, and I'm really glad that I did. And I want to <laughs> read it to you because I think it's uh, it sums up what I like about this book. Um, it says race slash identity isn't the central the central quest. Individual identity is how the fuck do I adult and I was like oh that's wonderful because I was like I was like that is a book about a 19 year old all of a sudden you're like oh I'm so much more than all these things I can contain multitudes okay cool 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 now how do I person like how how and then you start seeing cracks in people. And then when you're 22, you fall apart because you realize that everyone is faking it. Um, it's like a weird cycle. I've tested it on some nieces of mine. I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit because I'm realizing I was right, as I always am. 19 to 23 is killer. Ooh-hoo. I really, I really believe that you should not make any like life-altering decisions if you can avoid it. And I don't mean like what your major is in college. That's not life altering. You think it is, but it's not. But like, <laughs> for example, don't get married in that. <laughs> like, because there's so much. I really, really feel like like 23, you kind of start to be like, okay, I think I'm starting to figure out who I am. And then maybe by like 30. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got like another couple months, but I'm like, fingers crossed. <laughs> I woke up a week after my 30th birthday being like, I really don't care what people think anymore. That is the gift. That is the gift. That is what comes in your late 20s. If you're if you're lucky, like if you're in a position where you are comfortable enough to develop that. And it is wonderful. It is so much nicer. Do you want to hear the best part? Yes. All my friends in their 40s keep going, 
oh, just you wait until your 40s. They're like, it's actually an upward wave. And, and when I brought this to my mother, who turned 75 this year, so my mother and I have a serious generational gap, but my mom was like, oh, yeah, she's like, it's good until you hit 65. And she's like, that's when all of a sudden you start noticing you can't open the pickle jar anymore. And and I thought that was really lovely because, you know, you always dread getting older. But seeing the beauty in getting older and not just the like, oh, crow's feet are gorgeous, which they are, but it's also realizing that the sum of your experiences is starting to make something. Generally, that something is an awareness that you know nothing um, and that you should not be pompous. But I think that that's okay. It's lovely. Yeah. I mean, I think that acceptance is a gift. Like, honestly, like I was even talking with my seven-year-old this week and she was saying like at some point she asked you know like Tom and I were talking about something and we said something about like made some offhand comment about men and she was like what does this mean and we're like okay we're going to (laughs) explain toxic masculinity to a seven-year-old now but she was like she's like I don't understand why some men don't want to admit they're wrong like following (laughs) up on this conversation and I was like, yeah, like, honestly, me either. Like, I don't I don't super get that. And she was like, because, like, if you don't know that you're wrong about some things, how do you ever learn new things? And I was like, that's it. That is it. So I think the more you acknowledge that you don't know a lot of things, the more opportunity there is to learn. And that is fun. And what I'm saying is also, by the time I'm 45, I think both of my kids will be, like, basically taking care of themselves. And I am thrilled. That is the gift of having children very young. My guess is by the time I'm 45, I will have toddlers. (laughs) Cool. You know what? By that time, I'll probably miss toddlers. So I'll come like give you a break sometime. Yes. (laughs) All right, folks. Um, Before we wrap up and head out, uh, there's something that we meant to do as a mid-roll ad. And I, as I suspected I might, got very wrapped up in the episode and did not do that. But... Our sibling show, Rad Child Podcast, which I see as the kind of little sibling to this show. So if you're not quite at being interested in YA reviews and you maybe, like I do, have small children and you're kind of going, how the fuck do I parent? Um, Or, you know, you're an educator or a nanny or an auntie or... You know, you just have small children in your life and you want to do right by them. (laughs) Rad Child Podcast is your source for panel discussions about how to talk to kids about stuff that it's scary for adults to talk to kids about. Um, They've done a million topics uh, from foster care and adoption to sexuality and what makes a family to Islam to what winter holidays does your family celebrate? Uh, really a whole gamut of topics, really anything you could possibly, possibly need to know. Anxiety, depression, police brutality, COVID-19. And they are doing a fundraiser because they need money to stay afloat because podcasts do, in fact, take a certain amount of money to keep going. They've raised almost their total amount, which I believe is $2,800 already, But they still need the last 700, and this is an all-or-nothing campaign, so if they don't raise that last 700, they will not get any of it. So please, 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 um, you can head to Radchild Podcast, 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 Emmett, host of the podcast. Um, on Instagram it's at Radchild Podcast we will put links in the show notes as well but please consider giving as you're able even if that's just you know five bucks Um, Seth who hosts and produces the show is a really good person good friend of ours uh, and does a great job with this show he is a um, nanny nanny and has been for many years brings a lot of compassion (laughs) and insight to the to the position Uh, and we would really like this show to keep going also they pay my partner for editing so that would be cool uh, <laughs> you will be directly funding food for my children so we'll put uh information about that in the show notes um and please do check it out also maybe just refer the podcast to somebody you know because word of mouth is a great way to get that kind of information that people need out there 
All right. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast yeah and individually, I'm at caddy double underscore. There's a, there's a D after that, isn't there? Yes. Oh, I didn't say it. No, you just said caddy double underscore. <laughs> it's Friday night, folks, and everybody's fried. I'm at caddy double underscore D. And I'm at Teffer Bear. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. You can head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our wonderful patrons, Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. We love you. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Uh, you know what? Maybe a friend who's not super into YA, but like does like really poetic, lyrical, moving books that might make you cry like a little baby. Mm-hmm. Or anyone you know who loves a, a Richard Linklater film, I think will find themselves really well in this. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefer Ajemian, hey, that's me, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upward Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upwardnetwork.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. Hey, I'm October Jones, and Hi, this is I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- Fight for adults and kids. (sighs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website.